In every way, shape, and form, Westfield, Indiana is a normal town, full of suburbs with cute names, a small downtown area with family-owned local shops, and a large sports complex called Grand Park. Children play in green backyards of their homes, and family make trips up the Monon Trail to the large water park known as the Monon Center. All over this flat town, the roads turn from forests to quaint shops, suburbs, and finally, to farms. I moved to the border of Westfield when I was entering the second grade. For years, I would visit the town, its vast and open views remaining implanted in my mind. It wasn't until almost 10 years later, my junior year in high school in fact, when I heard about a local rumor. A few of my buddies were driving around when we stopped at a closed off house. My friends said that a man had kidnapped teenagers and actually killed them there, mutilating their corpses and digging their bodies into the soil. I didn't believe him at first. I mean, who, who would? But I couldn't shake that thought. And after some time, I just really accepted it as a truth, actually. Showing off to my other friends as some sort of sick attraction. Then, one afternoon on a summer's day, my mom told me about a murder that killed somewhere in the state of Indiana. I was intrigued, so I began researching into the case, and it only took a few hours for me to realize that my hometown of Westfield hid something from me for years. It lurked in the background, only rumors and false narratives stemming from the mouths of teenagers at this point, but it wasn't just a rumor. Only 10 minutes away from my home was at the home of a serial killer, all but discarded from Westfield history. 10 minutes away from my home laid the burial site of an unknown number of victims. 10 minutes away from my home sat the achievement of a notable and a normal family. 10 minutes away from my home is Fox Hollow Farms. My name is Will Courtney, and welcome to Fox Hollow. Despite the dark stain on Westfield's past, there was a time before I moved to Westfield. There was also a time before Fox Hollow Farms even was constructed. To understand the story behind Fox Hollow, we have to look at one man, Herbert Baumeister. Herbert known by Herb to those close to him, was born on April 7th, 1947. He was born into an average, if not really above average, family in Indianapolis, Indiana. He was the oldest of four children, son to Herbert Baumeister Sr. and Elizabeth Baumeister. His father was an anesthesiologist and by all accounts was extremely well off financially, allowing Elizabeth to remain at home with their children. Throughout the beginning of Herbert's childhood, everything seemed normal. That was exactly what the family wanted, the Baumeisters appeared to be like any typical Midwestern family. The reality, however, was quite less than typical. However, before we dive into Herbert's controversial childhood, it is absolutely imperative that we go into this with a bit of a frame of reference. The 1950s and 60s had television on the rise, Americans in Vietnam, and Herbert Baumeister in elementary school to high school. For reference, it wasn't until 1991 that the World Wide Web became available to the masses. What's important to remember is that a very significant portion of this case took place in a time when people could get away with significantly more due to a more condensed footprint and the ability to spread rumors much quicker. There are many different reports on Herbert's childhood and adolescence, but what I will be reporting is the broadest strokes of significant events that took place during this time frame. The recorded history may not be the true facts, but due to the overwhelming consistency of these sources, the chances of Herbert being a disturbed child is astoundingly high. As a final disclaimer, in the 1950s and 60s, the science of the world 
was starkly different from the world's current status of science today. Science was by no means as strong as it is today. Now, what's the point of me establishing this frame of mind? At some point during Herbert's education career, his teachers began reporting his disturbing behavior to his parents, causing them to send him to be psychiatrically evaluated. While I have been unable to find any physical or legitimate citations of said assessment, many websites have cited that during these evaluations, Herbert, at around the age of 15, was stated to have multiple personality disorder, now known as dissociative identity disorder, and schizophrenia. For anybody that may not know, these two disorders are very different, but definitely help explain Baumeister's consistent odd behavior. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, schizophrenia is a serious mental illness that affects how a person thinks, feels, and behaves. People with schizophrenia may seem like they have lost touch with reality, which causes significant distress for the individual, their family members, and their friends. If left untreated, the symptoms of schizophrenia can be persistent and disabling. Schizophrenia alone is an extremely disturbing diagnosis for a child, but with the addition of multiple personality disorder, a condition in which the patient's personality becomes fragmented due to some sort of trauma, it becomes extremely clear that Herbert was troubled as a child. In light of these diagnoses, however, Herbert received no treatment whatsoever. From the outside, looking into the concerning aspects of this case, this appears to be a critical error on the part of his parents. However, multiple theories have arisen as to why treatment was avoided, in fact. Some have proposed the idea that their family wanted to be normal. Any large change to the status quo can certainly cause riptides in the community. It is entirely possible that his parents made the decision to avoid treatment in order to keep up the facade of normalcy in their family. However, a more sympathetic theory has also arisen. Just as a reminder, the year is 1950, and science in the field of mental health is extremely impoverished. If an individual was to receive therapy for schizophrenia today, a significant amount of the treatment, according to Mayo Clinic, is to be using various forms of medication, the main goal of the medication being to reduce symptoms of schizophrenia. The different forms of medication used today are known as second-generation antipsychotics. In the 1950s, however, Herbert would have received first-generation antipsychotics. These first-generation antipsychotics have been shown to have frequent neurological side effects, such as developing a movement disorder called tardive dyskinesia. However, these antipsychotics weren't the only form of treatment. Other options for treatment of schizophrenia include insulin coma treatment, which causes them to have a hypoglycemic aftershock, or also known as a seizure. Leucotomy was also a form of treatment, which is the severing of pathways to the frontal cortex, as well as convulsive treatment were also used by doctors. One example of a convulsive treatment, which you may already know, is known as electroconvulsive therapy a form of therapy where the brain receives an electrical stimulation while under anesthesia. All these forms of therapy are still used today, but none of them are used for schizophrenia. If Herbert went under these treatments, it is incredibly likely that he would not have turned into the man he was later in his life, but he would never have been able to live the normal life that he desired. However, what caused Herbert to receive this diagnosis in the first place? What behaviors were erratic and concerning? Prior to his diagnosis, Herbert displayed some very strange behaviors from what has been reported. 
Many reports are extremely brief and lack any explanation or preluding causes to said behaviors, only stating what had exactly happened. Again, sources and citations vary with very little credible sources. However, almost every source can unequivocally say that Herbert had a disturbing mind. Many reports cite that Herbert had a fascination with death, in specific, dead animals. Supposedly in his youth, Herbert would take dead animals he would find and place them on his teacher's desks, allowing them to have a grotesque visage of morality as soon as they made it into their classroom. In one specific account, Herbert was said to have found a dead crow on the side of the road, placing the animal in his pocket on his way to school and placing it on his teacher's desk. Many articles, when citing the story, also write animals in plural, referring to some sort of repeated offenses of this behavior. Another concerning behavior found in Herbert's adolescence was his fascination with urine. According to one of his friends, who was left anonymous, he remembers that Herbert would often ponder what it would be like to taste human urine, later moving on the day to chase the boys around the schoolyard, hoping for a drink. This fascination was furthered as in addition to dead animals found on the teacher's desk, he also claimed to have urinated on their desks as well. <sighs> These behaviors were all reported to his parents, ultimately leading to the diagnosis and lack of treatment. So the question still remains, should Herbert have received treatment? A couple of years passed and his education turned to college. He attended IU in 1965, but after a semester, he dropped out of college. He could have dropped out for any reason, with theories stating that he left due to failing grades, dislike of education, or a desire to truly work. Either way, his next move was to work, and he decided to work at one of the most popular newspapers in the state, the Indianapolis Star. His time there was short, having only worked there for two years. During his time, he was a copy boy, and was really despised by his peers. He always seemed to be very stuck up, according to his co-workers, and extremely obedient to his boss. In 1967, he left the star, opting to go back to Indiana University once more, supposedly pushed by his father to attend again. This time, his life shifted slightly. Herbert and by all accounts his family were devout Republicans. With Indiana being a red state, it wasn't that surprising either. In addition to his political beliefs, he joined the Young Republicans Club at Indiana University and was an active member, attending meetings and the like. However, what really caught him off guard was Juliana Sater. They had both met at a meeting and kicked it off extremely well. Drawn together by their conservative views, their love of cars, and actually a dream of one day opening up a business. Surprisingly, the dates of when he attended college are muffled, but it is clear that he did not stay for long and he did not receive a degree in anything. However, very shortly after his final departure from college, he married Juliana Sater, their wedding taking place in 1971. Half a year into their marriage, he spent two months in a psychiatric ward for unknown reasons. This time is extremely concerning for multiple reasons. For starters, it is certainly strange how quickly it took place after the marriage without any clear reason for needing psychiatric help. These six months, according to almost every single article I've read, has been entirely blown over. But there are several theories of what happened during this time. Right now, I'm just going to ask you to regard it as strange, and I'll get back to it. Don't you worry. 
Three years after Herbert was married, he finally got a new job, his second ever recorded job in fact, at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. The BMV wasn't a glorious profession by any means, with the same menial and frequent work, but Herbert stayed for about 10 years. There aren't too many reports over his behavior at the BMV, but what is known is that Herbert's behaviors slowly began to dial down. In fact, Herbert actually began a family with Juliana. He had three children, the eldest being Marnie, born in 1979, the next came Eric, born in 1981, and finally Emily, born in 1984. Despite his shifts towards normalcy, his childhood issues would soon return in the form of two strange events at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. The first story hails from yet another anonymous source at the BMV. Her story states that Herbert would keep a cake in one of his drawers at work. That, in and of itself, isn't that strange, but over time, he would open the drawer up and just look at it, slowly watching the frosting drip at the side, the batter mold, and the color fade. The second story is much more credible and holds a disturbing shift for Herbert into his declining sanity. Over the past few years since his adolescence, Herbert's strange actions had been dying down and becoming less and less significant. But in 1985, all bets were off. His last year at the BMV, Herbert stood on his desk with a letter in front of him. The letter was directed to the current governor of Indiana, Robert Orr. Herbert unzips his pants and urinates on the letter at work. He was quickly fired from his job that kept him occupied for over a decade. That same year, the body of Eric Rodiger was found off the side of Interstate 70. Thank you for listening to the first episode of Fox Hollow. This show was entirely written, spoken, and produced by me, Will Courtney, and edited by Kayla Garrity. The art of today's episode is created by Jeanette Hommel, and the cover of both the title and the background of today's episode is made by Ethan Meneghini. My special thank you today goes out to my mother. She is ultimately the one who kickstarted me into the case, and, you know, without her, I would not have spent so much time just delving and conversing my theories with her. If you're looking for more podcasts to listen to, please visit whj.com, where you can access the portal to view all the student-made podcasts at Carmel High School. Now, with all that said, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. The next episode is coming out in two weeks, and I will see you all then. Stay tuned, and I'll see you all very, very soon.